0: Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Mount Air, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/missio Mount Air. Thanks. He is the greatest treasure. And I know that might be weird. God is a core value. Yeah, he is our chief value. He is our highest and our deepest delight. Secondly, truth. So we value God and we value truth. And so in that, that truth we believe God has revealed to us in his word. And so we want to stand on the word of God. We don't want to bend it to us. We want to bend to it. We believe in what we call a transcendent truth that that, 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 that goes over culture, time, civilizations, it doesn't matter. This is God's revealed word from the maker of heaven and earth. And so one of the primary things that we'll do on Sundays is just walk through scripture and open it up and teach it. And to show us what has God revealed to us. Because one of the great news of the gospel is, is that God has in fact revealed himself. He's revealed himself in creation, and he's specifically or specially revealed himself in his word and Jesus Christ, who is the living word. And so we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount now for the last couple of months, and we're now in chapter six. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? You ever pondered that question? If someone were to ask you on the street, let's say you're shopping at High V, they're like, excuse me, I've been pondering this. What is the kingdom of God? First of all, after you pick your jaw up off the floor, <laughs> how would you answer that question? Graham Goldsworthy has a definition that is biblical, it is simple, and it is profound. What is God's kingdom? The kingdom is this. The kingdom of God involves God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. This is the kingdom of God. And the scriptures reveal to us that this is what we were created for. This is the only place where, where we find true and lasting joy and meaning... And purpose and life. Living under God's rule as his people is not one of brutal, joyless slavery, but it is freedom and it is life giving. Living outside of his kingdom is where death and brutality and evil lie. I really don't think that I need to go on very long to convince us that this world is broken, that our own hearts, Are broken. This is true for every single one of us from birth and it is true because of sin. Sin that we are victims of and sin that we are willing participants in. We have rejected the God we were made for and we chose a life where we get to determine our own kingdoms. And we actually have rejected God and his kingdom. And what we see is what we get. There are marks of genuine beauty still in the kingdom of God. There are, we are still in the image of our maker, but that image is warped. And it's really a dangerous game when we look at this world and creation and think this is what God intended. This is not what God intended. It is something far more beautiful. Jesus came to redeem a people for himself as citizens restored back to God's kingdom. He did this through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. The kingdom of God is advancing by the power of God's Holy Spirit when men, when women, when children... From all nations respond in faith to the profoundly good news of God's great love displayed in Jesus Christ. And then these very same people live out their new life as kingdom citizens in the midst of this warped world. Through these people, God advances his kingdom as his spirit works in us and through us because we are his ambassadors. Until one day, until one great day, the kingdom of God will forever be established. With a new heavens and a new earth, God will dwell with his people forever. We shall see his face and all that warps this world, sin, death, evil mourning will be permanently erased. The king's people living in God's place under his loving and kind rule. This is God's kingdom. And while it is not yet complete, it is here now. Ruling and reigning in the hearts and through the lives of Christ's people. Christ made our hearts new, and he is the king of our hearts if we have repented and believed in the name of Jesus. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that his people engage others differently. Seeking to love others from the heart in light of God's love for us. Desiring to be like our father in heaven who is perfect and striving to be like him in our everyday moments and relationships. So as we move on into chapter 6, we see that Christ now turns our attention to what worship looks like in the kingdom. How we relate to and worship God in the midst of of our everyday world. Do you see the beautiful intentionality? Christ at the beginning, he sets up, these, this, is, this is who's in the kingdom. This is, this is who I am in the kingdom. This is what my people do. are salt and light as they worship me as their king. And then this is how my people relate to one another, right? He handles the horizontal relationships. Now we move on into chapter six. He's like, this is what your worship of me looks like now. And in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus kicks off this teaching when he says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He kicks off this teaching by telling us we've got to beware of something. And we have to beware of how we practice our righteousness. What is that? Practicing our righteousness. Here's what it means. It's the outward working of your faith. It's the things you do in light of your faith. That is practicing our righteousness. And here is the big idea Jesus wants to set up. That the king's people practice their righteousness for God alone. And not the applause of men. The king's people practiced their righteousness for God God alone. You remember that song, for those of you that remember, years ago, was uh, Audience of One? Remember that song? I don't remember who sang that now off the top of my head. But D.A. Carson, a theologian, in his commentary on Matthew, wrote this. Righteous conduct under kingdom norms must be visible. So that God is glorified. You remember back all the way in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, shine before men, be salt and light, let your deeds be shown so that your heavenly father is worshipped. Right? So these deeds, these practicing our righteousness is to be seen. We are to do it in the midst of the world. Yet, it must never be visible in order to win Human acclaim. In other words, if our motivation is for people to go, man, Dennis, that's a righteous dude. (laughs) That's got a whole bunch of different meanings. You are a righteous dude, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But more in like the fast times at Richmond High, righteous dude, (laughs) right? Or or the, gosh, that was an old reference. I could have even gone Nemo. That would have been more relevant. But, but if that's our motivation, that, that we just want people to see how good we are. We, we are displaying the opposite of what Christ is saying. I mean, I couldn't help but think of young kids. We, for those of us that have had young kids or have young kids now, you ever been to a playground or a swimming pool with them? It's like you can't get, Mom, watch! <laughs> you know, or they go in the pool, Dad, Dad, watch this, this is so cool! And then they just... You know, mom, mom, you watching? You watching? And it's like, they don't care who else is around. They just want mom and dad's attention. Think of a husband who unloads the dishwasher without his wife asking. Look at what I did, honey. Don't you want to put something in the dishwasher? Hey, that used to be clean. Look at that. It's empty now. I just want my wife to see that. She comes home. I'm just like, how was your day? It was great. Why don't you check the dishwasher out? Oh, I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> right? It's kind of a similar thing, that our desire is to go, Father, this is for you. God, my eyes are fixed on you alone, who I know always sees me. This is why in chapter 6, verses 2 to 18, Jesus uses three major acts of Jewish religious life to deliver this teaching. Giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. These were chief practices of the Jewish community at the time. But notice first how Jesus just assumes these practices will continue. You go to chapter 6, verse 2, when you give to the needy. You go to chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray. And you go to chapter 6, verse 16, when you fast. See, the question is not whether we should be doing these things, but how we should do them. Because the king's people practice their righteousness. This is one of the the mysteries that is beginning to occur in Christianity today. Where we can say, I'm going to, to have my personal beliefs about God, which I'm going to shape to meet my own needs, by the way. But my life doesn't have to match that. It's like I'm going to serve God when I walk into a building. That's kind of why I'm really glad we meet in a public space. right? Because God is everywhere. There should not be a dissonance between what I believe and how I live. And how I live is a direct implication of what I believe. And Jesus is saying, yes, you should do those things. You should practice your righteousness. You should do religious things if you believe in in, in the God of your religion. And Jesus first addresses how giving is not to be done with fanfare or in a way that draws attention to ourselves. People may see, but that's not our concern. We give as an act of worship to our Father in heaven who always sees us And as a rewarder of those who live for him. I mean, he met us when we were needy. Therefore, we as his people want to help others when they are needy. As an act of worship. It's not even about those those people we're giving to thanking us. I hope they, that's fine, I'm I'm grateful if they do. But whether they do or not is irrelevant to me. Because this is about worshiping Jesus For your good, as I give to you. In our text today, Jesus addresses what prayer should look like in his people. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks in this passage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, chapter six, verses five to fifteen, but I'm only going to focus on verses five through eight this morning, and then we're going to pick up the rest of it over the next couple of weeks. So let's read this. Matthew chapter six. Verses 5 to 15. This is the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we get into this section, we see that Jesus continues the same pattern of teaching he used about giving. And we'll see the same pattern he uses about fasting. When you pray, don't do it like this, because. And instead, pray like this, because. He gives two illustrations that would have been very common in that day. One stemming from Jewish life and prayer and one from non-Jewish or Gentile prayer. But before we dive into those, let's first ask these two questions. What is prayer, and why should it be such an important part of our lives? I'm going to read a couple quotes. I've got several quotes for us. We're going to keep Tony busy this morning. (laughs) South African pastor Andrew Murray wrote this. Though in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that a feeble child can pray. Yet it is at the same time the highest and holiest work to which man can rise. It is fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. Oswald Chambers wrote this. We look upon prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves... The Bible idea of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Prayer is the amazing gift God has given to us by which we commune with God. Let that sink in for a minute. It's a gift he's given us so that we can have an intimate, growing relationship with him the maker of heaven and earth, our savior and our king. It is, I love how John Calvin talks about it. It is intimate communication where we boldly approach his eternal throne of righteousness and justice in the name of his son, by the power of his Holy Spirit. The most fundamental blessing of the gospel message is this. If you don't hear anything really today, hear this. The most fundamental blessing of the gospel message is that Jesus, God's own son, purchased our redemption and brought us back into peaceful relationship with our maker. That is the heart of the gospel. In Christ, we are brought back to relationship with our father. This is why we can call on him as as father. I know this is controversial, what I'm about to tell you. But outside of Jesus Christ, we cannot call upon God as father. He is not the father of all people. He is the maker of all people. He is not the father of all people. He is only the father of those who have come to him in the name of his son. You've got to hear this. Because we live in a day and age where every person... Is God's child? No. They are God's creation. Only those who come in the name of the Son are children, adopted. They have the right to be called children of God. Hear the heart of the the Father. Hear the heart of the King Savior that wants to draw you back as a son. The benefits of this gift are so numerous, it's difficult to put into words. Prayer is the natural outflow of this blessing. We now know our God and we can communicate with him. Prayer is is so much more than just giving God my to-do list. Prayer is so much richer than merely reciting religious-sounding phrases prayer is sharing our heart with God, learning to enjoy his presence like a weaned child enjoys their mother. There's a difference, isn't there, between a nursing child and a weaned child. My wife would say all the time with our kids, I think they love me just because I'm food. (laughs) You know what? That's kind of still true, actually. (laughs) We went shopping yesterday, and it was like, really? (laughs) But when a weaned child now all of a sudden sees mom for mom. That's what I think it's Psalm 131 talks about. Like a weaned child is my soul with my God. Prayer is learning to hear from him as we meditate on his word. We cannot have a good robust prayer life if we don't know the word of God. We don't know how to pray, really. We don't know how to hear it. When we open God's word, God opens his mouth. And so we learn to discern his voice as we feast and know his word. It is allowing God to interact with us in ways that quiet our souls, builds our faith, and helps us grab a hold of everything for which Christ has taken hold of us for. Prayer is the gift that we have to speak God's promises back to Him, to confess our sins that we might be cleansed of unrighteousness, that we can cast our anxieties and cares on His shoulders. Anybody stressed ever? Anybody carry anxiety in their life? Hear the Scriptures. Cast your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. Prayer is how we speak praises to him. How we ask for good things from our good father for the things that we need. And it's way that we are transformed by the power of his spirit as we commune with him. No wonder John Calvin wrote this. It is not for his sake that he ordained prayer, but for ours. But we must be careful how we pray. Jesus warns us that we should not pray to be seen and heard by others. If we are looking for the approval or envy of others, Jesus says that's all the reward you're going to get. If you're looking for this, you'll get that, and no more. I don't want to like unnecessarily like condemn anyone here, but, but over 20 years of ministry, and, and on some hand, I get this, so I'm not being harsh here. I'm just, I'm just bringing out an observation. There are so many people that I've known that, don't wanna, that, that aren't looking to be like, I want people to see what an amazing prayer I am. <laughs> but I do know a lot of us pray and are scared to pray out loud because we don't want other people to judge us. Let go of that idolatry and pray to your God. Whether people are listening or not, because here's what you don't know. Number one, God is showing you you're more scared of what they think than communing with me with the gift that I've given you. That's like a... That, that doesn't... That, that reveals something about us, doesn't it? And if you have a community that's going to judge you, well, then there's problems in that community. <laughs> right? Can we be a community that says, even if your prayers aren't great, but they're from the heart, that we're like, man, I needed that. Some of the greatest prayers I've ever heard are with somebody with fear and trembling going, "Uh, God, uh, I'm great. No, no, that's not what I meant. You're great. You're great. You're right. Like that authenticity is beautiful when it's truly authentic. Prayer, see, here's what happened. Prayer was the vital part of the Jewish worship, and often someone would be asked to pray in the synagogue. And it was also not uncommon for someone to pray in the streets, which no doubt Jesus addresses here left many who did love to do this so they could be seen. It's like Ron Burgundy asking to play the jazz flute. Oh, I'm not prepared. And he pulls out the jazz flute, and he's like, hey, here I go. you know. Jesus is like, no, that's not what this is about. This is why Jesus then says we should go to a quiet and unseen place to pray. Because it is here in these quiet unseen places where men cannot see us that our true desires and reasons for prayer are discovered. Is it God we really want? Is it on him we are truly depending do we really believe that he's there and he sees us? If we're not able to pray when no one is watching, this is, we got to be careful. We must take a long look at our hearts and ask, for whom then am I praying? For what do I pray? In whom do I really trust? And what is my greatest joy and treasure in life? Is it God Or is it something else? Secret prayer is not an idle waste of time. It is not speaking words into thin air. It is communing with the unseen Father who hears, loves, and desires good for you. Our first thought as we enter into prayer is that our Father who always sees us, whom we cannot see, waits and meets with us in prayer and in secret prayer. This does not mean we never pray in public. That's not what Jesus is condemning. Jesus prayed in public. The early church from the very beginning has prayed in public. Public prayer is not the issue. Whether we stand, sit, kneel, or lay down, eyes closed, eyes open, that's not the issue. Jesus is addressing the heart. And at the same time, I do, though, challenge us to hear the words of Christ and to find a regular, hidden place to spend time with your God in prayer. Church, learn the discipline of ingesting God's word daily. Feast on the word. And if you don't know how yet, will teach you, feast on the word, then learn to meditate on the word, to think about it. This whole idea of mindfulness meditation, which comes out of transcendental Buddhism, is really so unbiblical because what that teaches is to empty yourself. The scriptures don't tell us to empty ourselves. The scriptures tell us to be filled. To be filled with the Spirit of God. To be filled with the Word of God. To meditate on something, and that something is the Word. And what we do when we meditate on the Word is we're meditating on God Himself. How does this apply to my life? Am I living this out? What does that mean? Where have I seen God do this in my life? How how does this truth of God affect my anxiety? I've learned in my own life that I can either fixate on my anxieties and my fears and let that be this warp, downward spiral, or I could transfer that same mental energy to go, what does the gospel say? Who is God in this moment? What is he calling me to? How do I pray to him? And begin to take that same energy and little by little learn to transfer it over to here. So, I ingest the Word of God, I meditate on the Word of God, and then out of that, I pray to the God of all creation. Even if you start with five minutes a day, start somewhere. Some of you have young children and you can get one minute a day. Great, do one minute. Some of you have never done this before. Don't feel that this means you've got to become a Benedictine monk and do it for hours. It just starts somewhere. This isn't about how long you do it. It's about that you do it. The heart of the king's people desires communion with God in an ever-increasing manner. We know that we are utterly dependent on our completely reliable and faithful father in heaven. And when we pray, Jesus tells us we don't need to scream at him. We don't need to utter meaningless words and phrases trying to get God's attention or to persuade him to act. This was a common religious practice among pagan worshipers. This is why Jesus says later that, that, that when we do it, you know, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because what the pagans thought is if I just yelled loud enough, if I just repeated enough phrases, if I, if I just do it enough times, maybe if I cut myself. He'll see me. Maybe if I ride a unicycle and juggle, He'll see me. Just maybe God will hear me with no real certainty even in that. Instead, Jesus teaches this wonderful truth and don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. The Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Do you see the power of this? God is a good father. He is attentive to his people. He never grows weary. He never grows weary of you. He never takes his eyes off of you. He knows you inside and out, and he knows your needs. Christian, do you know that your father in heaven wants good for you? That you don't weary him? He doesn't grow tired of you. You don't annoy him. He's not too busy doing other things, and he can't look at you. He is big enough to do both. He knows what you need. He hears you. He's fixed his love on you. And he invites you to seek him, to ask him, to know him. And this is all true because he sees us in Christ We are brought into that love between God the Father and God the Son. Even if that means your petitions are not answered promptly. Even if that means he answers no. Even if that means what is revealed to you is you need to repent of that sin. And that's the thing you love. Maybe that sin is like so a part of your life and you know what God says and everything within you wants to reject that. You think, why do you want to harm me with that truth, God? No, no, You could take rest in the glorious truth that your Father sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He desires good for you. He knows your need. You don't need to despair. You don't need to shout louder. You don't need to pray certain mindless phrases to get His attention or to move His hand. He has given us the gift of prayer. He has given us His Son in whose name we must come. And He graciously invites us to commune with him. Come to your Father. Don't come with empty phrases that sound impressive or religious. Come with words informed by the Scriptures to your Father who loves you and pray from the heart. Pray prayers that exalt Him, praise Him, and thank Him. Pray prayers where you, where you confess your need, your sin, and your dependence. Pray little things and pray grand things. Let me say that again. Pray little things and pray grand things. Cast your cares and anxiety on him. Pray his promises back to him. Pray for others. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your future spouse. Pray for your children. Pray he helps your unbelief. Pray for God to save your lost friends and family. Praying, knowing he hears you and that he knows your need. Praying, knowing that he's made himself available to you and is calling you into deeper and deeper and deeper fellowship with him. Set a specific time to go to your hidden place and pray throughout the day at the same time. If we see God and ourselves rightly, it is not whether we or not we have the time, it is really how can we possibly not take the time. I love what the early church father, Chrysostom, wrote like 2,000 years ago. He said this, No one should give the answer that it is impossible for a man occupied with worldly cares to pray always. You can set up an altar to God in your mind by means of prayer. And so it is fitting to pray at your trade On a journey, standing at the counter, or sitting at your handicraft. Sounds like they were busy back then, too. We have five discipleship outcomes here at Missio Church. Five very practical and measurable outcomes that, as followers of Jesus, we want to strive to grow in our daily practice of. They are all equally important. But the first among equals... Is communing with God. This should be our highest priority. If God is our greatest treasure, then communing with Him should be our highest daily practice. If the gospel is the message of reconciliation with God through Christ, that we're restored back to intimacy with Him, so much so that we can call Him Father as our highest good and our highest value and our chief aim then let us commune daily with him in his word, in meditation, and in prayer. If you are a follower of Jesus, pursue communing with God daily, even if you start with five minutes. Intentionally build your life on the discipline to do this. Rich and deep walks with God are built on a lifetime of daily discipleship. He has made himself available to you in Christ, and he invites you to this. Build your day around this chief end and not this chief end around your day, because you will never get to it. Prayer is the sacred gift he's given us. Let us learn its language as we read the scriptures. If you don't know how to pray, read the Psalms. That's the book God inspired for the words to speak back to him, even if you just pray a psalm. Learn the prayers of great men and women throughout the scriptures, prayers like the prayer of Hannah and Samuel. Oh, that's a rich prayer. Mary's Magnificat in Luke 2 how Paul prayed, how Jesus prayed, how the early church prayed. It's all here. Pray. Learn to pray by praying with your fellow church body. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have yet to intentionally call on his name to save you from your own sin and brokenness, do you hear the call of God today? Calling you to himself. His desire is to save you. To bring you into a life-giving, secure relationship of hope where you can begin pursuing him as father and all the blessing that that means. If you have not placed your faith in Christ and turned from your sin, you are still in the kingdom of darkness. Choose life today, that you might live. May your first prayer be to ask Christ to bring you into his kingdom as a son or a daughter secured by the love of the Father who gave his son for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son. And we are so thankful that the gospel is a message of being restored back to you And to be citizens of your kingdom. Thank you that you have given us the beautiful gift of prayer. Of being able to commune with you every day through your word. Through meditating on it. And through prayer. And God I do pray that every one of us in this room would truly have you. Not just as our our stated highest aim. But as our actual highest aim. And that we would seek to commune with you daily. And that prayer would be a vital aspect of that. Father, we love you and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.